0: Hey there, welcome to The Tent. I'm your host, Scott Fellman, and it's time for another foray into the world of aquariums from a slightly different perspective. There's as many approaches to setting up aquariums as there are aquarists. I mean, sure, there's a few best practices and stuff where you can pretty much count on, and then there's some new approaches and steps you can take based on our collective newer experience, which we talk about quite a bit. Uh, In fact, we talk about quite a bit hear about the process of setting up botanical style blackwater aquariums from scratch and the mindset, the research, the concepts, and the execution that's involved. However, we have a large number of customers and community members who have an existing aquarium and want to switch it over to a, a blackwater or a botanical style aquarium. We receive a fair number of questions about this process, so I figure that maybe now is as good a time as any to sort of touch on it a little bit. Now, we can only go so in-depth on a podcast like this, but it's something we can at least open up for some future discussions. Now, I've always had this thing about most of these aquarium-related how-to kind of, you know, pieces, because I... I think they tend to offer up information as if everyone, everything were a simple recipe and all you do is just do this or add a pinch of that and you're certain to achieve you know, a specific result. And you know as well as I do that with hundreds of possible variables in the equation, an aquarium's no picnic. Nothing's a given, even when you're considering trying to hit a narrow range of conditions with seemingly the right combination of actions. So with that disclaimer in mind, We're going to at least look at the overall how-to, and we can fill in the blank spaces in our specific situations with more customized approaches as needed, but here's sort of a a good thing. So if you have an existing aquarium, the first thing you need to do is you need to ask yourself when starting such a change is, do the fishes which I keep come from this type of environment in nature, and am I willing to to take the time to do it slowly? The answer to the first question is pretty obvious, and it's almost sort of in salting that I even mention it, but you know, due diligence or whatever. The second question is to me more interesting. In fact, it's, as we say here in America, the whole ball game. Well, I probably say that everywhere too, but you know, anyway, you have to employ patience. You have to take the time. There's simply nothing to be gained by rushing this process. It goes without saying that if you've been keeping fishes, you you know, for a while, even ones which come from blackwater conditions in nature, if you've been keeping these fishes in harder, more alkaline water, there will need to be a gradual transition to this type of environment. You know, although fishes are obviously quite adaptable, any kind of significant environmental change that you make is tough on the animal, and they need to be made slowly. We've talked about it before, but I'm also of the opinion that even, for example, tetras or other fishes that may have been Bred commercially in so-called tap water conditions, not necessarily soft and acidic or whatever, for the past few decades, still could benefit from being repatriated into more natural conditions. I don't believe that a few dozen generations of captive breeding could erase the genetic adaptations that these fishes have made through evolution over eons. I just don't. That being said, and the lofty goal of replicating, quote, natural conditions, unquote, aside, You're still putting your fishes from a stable situation through an environmental change, and this requires time. It's something that needs to be done carefully and thoughtfully over several weeks, in my opinion. I suppose the most fundamental, absurdly obvious question is, do you want to lower the pH of the water? And if so, why? And is this a good idea? Is this something that you feel will benefit your fishes in some way? Yeah, seemingly dumb question, but when you embark on this kind of paradigm-shifting environmental change to an existing tank and all of its inhabitants, it's pretty important to give this a lot of thought. If you're just doing it to be part of the, you know, fictitious sub-5 6.5 pH club or to, you know, humble brag on Instagram or do a video on TikTok about your cool soft acidic water tank or whatever, you really need to reassess things. That's not the right reason. Of course, once you've been able to address that fundamental issue, the next steps are perhaps the most important ones. Now, I'd start the conversion process by doing a sort of baseline assessment of the pH and alkalinity of my water. I make sure that I have sufficient filtration in place to accommodate, you know, some additional bioload, you know, decomposing leaves, stuff like that. You should also give some thought about what your target pH or alkalinity levels are. If you're using tap water with a pH of like 8.2 and considerable carbonate hardness, for example, you need to consider how you might bring these measurements down. If you're using a substrate, which is known to buffer the, the tank, it's going to make the process... Uh, of lowering the pH significantly and extremely challenging, if not nearly impossible, you may consider a total substrate replacement. Uh, It's another process which can add extreme stress and biological challenges to your system. It's literally a go-no-go item, in my opinion. It may simply necessitate breaking down the tank and completely starting over, and then you're doing a new tank. So, kind of a different approach. And you should, in my opinion, be willing to make the infrastructure investment, pricey though it may be, in a reverse osmosis deionization unit or at least in finding a source of good consistent rodi water like many fish stores will sell you that by the gallon or a liter the rationale here is that it's far far easier to reduce the ph in water with little to no carbonate hardness than it is in you know hard alkaline water it's a better canvas upon which you can work if you aren't using rodi water in your current setup you can't even start gradually mixing some in without adjusting it or anything with your regular water exchanges. This will help gradually lower the carbonate hardness and pH. Slow steps. If you can get your water to around neutral, you know, 7.0, that's great. It's a great stepping off point for modifications to lower pH levels. Now, speaking of pH, I wouldn't shoot for the stars and try to get to 5.5 or something you know, really low right out of the blocks. For that matter, I wouldn't obsess about any specific target number, really. Rather, I'd try to find a tight range that you could easily maintain. With the understanding that you need to do this over a period of weeks, or months even, I'd shoot for a modest pH level of like 6.7, 6.5 is your target range. Get a feel for operating the tank under these conditions and maintaining them consistently within that range. Once you've got a sort of handle on the pH and alkalinity and gotten them in range, you could begin the slow process of sort of fine-tuning your habitat. Now, you might be, as as I often am, surprised to find that botanicals and leaves, while impactful somewhat on the pH, will drop the pH levels much more slowly and to a lesser extent than you might think. And as I've mentioned many times over the years, if you have harder alkaline water, the impact will be even more minimal. And the impact on carbonate hardness from botanicals is essentially nothing, in my experience. You simply need to utilize other methods to reduce KH, like the aforementioned use of reverse osmosis deionized water. The other probably insultingly obvious thing to be aware of is that even if the water looks dark brown, it's not necessarily, you know, pH 6.3 and 0KH. I mean, tannins will stain the water in the absence of chemical filtration media to remove them. It may not significantly impact the pH, as we keep telling you, but you get that visual tint. And I know many hobbyists who are perfectly happy with that. You just want the look. Uh, hard alkaline tinted water is aesthetically beautiful, and the benefits of the humic substances imparted by the botanical materials must still be realized. I'm not aware of any studies done on the health impact to tropical fishes of tannins and humic substances in harder alkaline environments versus you know, softer, soft acidic ones, so it's sort of an open topic, really. Perhaps one that you could make a meaningful observation or two about. When transitioning in an existing aquarium, my tendency is to initially start with a relatively small quantity of materials, usually leaves, and then work in the more durable botanicals like seed pods and stuff like that. I guess my thought process is that materials like the leaves tend to break down more quickly, imparting their humic acids and tannins into the water at a correspondingly more rapid pace. And of course, after your initial additions, you should measure the pH and carbonate hardness again to see if there's been any impact. A lot of hobbyists are into checking TDS as well, and we you know, we've been up that subject quite a bit over the years here, so something you want to research. In addition, the more rapid decomposition of the leaves fosters more biological activity, i.e. beneficial bacteria, fungal growth, etc. The botanical style aquarium is a microcosm which depends upon botanical materials to impact the environment. And this microcosm consists of, what, a myriad of life forms of all levels and sizes, ranging from our fishes to small crustaceans to worms, to uh, you know countless microorganisms these little guys the bacteria the paramecium and stuff like that comprise what is known as the microbiome of our aquariums we've talked about this many times before haven't we just to refresh your memory a microbiome by definition is defined as a community of microorganisms like bacteria fungi and viruses that inhabit a particular environment now sure every aquarium has a microbiome to some extent The long-term successful botanical-style aquarium is 100% dependent upon the formation and growth of a healthy microbiome. We have the beneficial bacteria which facilitate the nitrogen cycle and they play an indispensable role in the function of our little worlds, don't they? The botanical-style aquarium is no different. In fact, this is where I start wondering. It's the place where my basic high school and college elective course biology sort of falls away and you get into more complex aspects of aquatic ecology in our aquariums. Yet, it's more important to at least understand this concept as it can relate to aquariums. It's worth doing a little bit of research and pondering. It'll educate you, it'll challenge you, it'll make you a better overall aquarist. In this little podcast, I can't possibly cover every aspect of this. I mean, if you go back on some of the other episodes, we've talked about it, but today we can't really touch on it too much. Just touch on a few broad points that are really, you know, fascinating and impactful. And so much of this process and our understanding starts with botanicals. And again, obviously that question is, how much stuff do I start with? And of course, my answer is, I have no freaking idea. (laughs) What a shocker, right? I realize that's the least satisfying, probably least helpful answer I could give you to this question. Or is it? I mean, taking into account all the possible variables ranging from the type of water you're starting with to what kind of substrate material you're using, it would just be a shot in the dark at best. So again, my advice is to start with a correspondingly small quantity of stuff, like I don't know, maybe half a dozen leaves for every 15 U.S. gallons. That's about 57 liters uh, of water. Maybe a similar amount of seed pods. Again, you might not notice any difference, or you might see a 0.2 reduction in pH. You might see a very tinted water, or you might see nothing. I recommend a digital pH meter for best accuracy to test this stuff. In fact, I recommend digital meters for just about anything that you can test for that they make a a digital meter for. Because the tinted water that our aquariums feature typically renders the results of liquid test kits really challenging to interpret. So it's a good investment. Now, I'd make it a habit to add the same amount of materials, leaves initially, and then seed pods if you want to mix them in on subsequent additions. Do that at a regular interval, say every four or five days. Test again, see where you're at. And I would tend to shoot for not reducing your pH by more than, I don't know, 0.5 per week or maybe. One point per week. If you're really being aggressive, that's me, of course. Your fish's tolerance and your personal comfort level with doing so—it's totally your call. And it's really a matter of repeating this process until you hit your desired range. Again, notice I said range and not target pH or whatever. Personally, I've experienced far better results at manipulating pH in my water holding containers than I have in the aquarium. It's a little easier to control all the variables. And of course, the dynamic of transitioning an aquarium from hard and alkaline to soft and acidic is a process which occurs in both the tank and in the source water containers. We receive a lot of questions here um, about utilizing chemical filtration media while using botanicals. And again, there's no right or wrong here. I'll tell you from my personal experience that I like to use filtration materials like Seachem Renew, or small amounts of activated carbon. You're like, seriously, filming carbon? Yeah, really. And materials like polybiomarine, polyfilter. I use those things on a full-time basis in my aquariums, I do. The secret is not to use as much, perhaps, carbon as one might say, because, as the manufacturer might recommend, because it might remove some of the tint that you really want. But the reality is that organic scavenger resins, carbons, and materials like Renew uh, you know, they're indiscriminate in the removal of stuff like human a- humic acids, tannins, and you know, all those organic compounds released by the botanicals, but they also tend to moderate things you don't want, like ammonia and miscellaneous organics. how's that for a cop out on my part? Falling back on miscellaneous, but stuff you don't want. Yeah, they might remove some of that visual tint, but they'll remove a lot less of it if you don't use the recommended dose per gallon that the manufacturer says. So, Frankly, I've never done a serious test to see exactly how much of whatever chemical filtration media actually removed from the water. I just haven't, being honest here. I'll bet not too many of you have either. I rely on the manufacturer's instructions and good old observation. If you get the sort of feeling that this is hardly a scientific, highly choreographed, one-size-fits-all process, you're totally right. It's really a matter of, uh, as the great Aquarist author John Tulloch once wrote, testing and tweaking. In other words, see what the hell's going on before making adjustments. Logical and time-tested aquarium procedure for any type of tank. Now, the interesting thing that I've always found with my botanical-style blackwater aquariums is that they tend to find their own equilibrium of sorts, a stable operating range that once you find yourself doing the same procedures, you know, regular water changes, additions of botanicals, and media replacement, etc., at regular intervals, they tend to remain highly consistent as long as you keep them up. I've talked repeatedly about the what I feel are unwarranted fears that people have about you know precipitous pH drops and crashes and stuff like that. And honestly, without getting into minute arguments about all kinds of crazy stuff, I think most of these things are mitigated by consistency, by patience, by taking small steps, testing regularly, documenting and repeating them. I think most of these so called crashes are caused by our own incompetence and mistakes. I believe that pretty much Every one of the anomalous pH crashes and disasters that we've heard in regard to blackwater aquariums and botanical stock aquariums has been directly attributable to operator error. Uh, In other words, failing to be consistent, diligent, and conservative. Tanks simply don't crash by themselves, in my experience. I've just never had it happen, and I've kept tanks since I was four years old. I have not ever had a tank crash, and I've done some pretty stupid things. They fail as a result of something we did or did not do failure to slow down, failure to measure, failure to observe or continue to, you know, follow procedures that have been giving us consistently good results. In my experience, tanks will typically show signs, they'll develop trends and demonstrate the manifestations of issues gradually if you're attuned to them. That's why observation is so important. Botanical style and blackwater aquariums are not set and forget systems. That's exactly like reef aquariums, planted, you know, tanks embuna systems discus tanks etc it's no different you need to observe and you pivot as situations dictate a sort of yin and yang if you will between pushing the limits and playing it safe and you have to ask yourself if this type of active tank management lifestyle is for you if it's something you really want to do now within the things are awesome range and the oh shit range there's a ton of room for experimentation and research Best practices in terms of how much stuff to add, when to add it, when or if to remove it, etc., etc. It's all still the subject of a lot of discussion among members of our community, and they're evolving daily. There are, as we mentioned before, no specific recipes to follow. In fact, embarking on this podcast was probably a fool's errand because it's such a broad topic and it changes constantly. But really, only those emerging best practices developed by those of us who have ventured along this path are what you have to work with. We can tell you about the benefits, show you how to prepare botanicals, advise you about husbandry, and warn you of the things that can go wrong, but the rest is up to us as individual hobbyists. And that's not the only challenge, but in my opinion, it's also the appeal of this type of aquarium. We all have an opportunity to contribute to the state of the art, to increase our body of knowledge about how these systems operate, to unlock manifold benefits and potential pitfalls of botanical-style aquarium practices. It's not for everyone. Not everyone likes the look, not everyone likes the work and the effort required. There's still many unknowns and no one real way to achieve success, no cookie cutter thing here. However, for those who choose to walk on this most interesting path, the potential rewards for us and most important for our fishes are huge. This podcast was out of necessity, the most cursory look at the topic of transitioning and it probably left off a lot of topics because I tend to meander as you know but I hope it opens up more discussion on this seemingly popular topic within our community. So let's continue the discussion. Let's continue to refine the techniques and learn together, learn from our mistakes, learn from our successes, talk about them and grow, stay excited, stay conservative, stay experimental, stay diligent, stay skeptical, stay hopeful, stay thoughtful, and always stay wet. Until next time, this is Scott from Ten and Aquatics. Thanks for spending part of your day with me. I look forward to seeing you on the next installment of The Ten.